I want to encourage you to take, to, to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of John. The book of John, chapter 7, verse 32 through 53, will be our scripture text for this morning. The book of John, chapter 7, verses 32 to 53. Here Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles and he has just completed a discourse on he being the bread of life. His authority is from the Father. He goes up to the synagogue or the temple, I should say, and begins to teach. We come to the passage in John chapter 7, verse 32. The text reads, The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officials to seize him. Therefore Jesus said, For a little while longer I am with you, then I go to him who sent me. You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is a statement that he said, You will seek me and will not find me, and where I am you cannot come? Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem? the village where David was. So a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, Never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. The Pharisees then answered, You have not also been led astray, have you? No one of the rulers or Pharisees has believed in him, has he? But the crowd which does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, he who came to him before being one of them, said to them, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? They answered him, You are not also from Galilee, are you? Search and see that no prophet arises out of Galilee. Everyone went to his own home. 
Let's bow together in a word of prayer before we begin our study. Our God in heaven, we pray that you would open wide the eyes of our heart. Grant to us understanding and fill us with your spirit that we might see you and understand your word. In Jesus' most precious name, amen. It's always nice to know people. Always nice when people know who you are. No one wants to be a nobody. Like the theme song that was a song of a, of a popular TV show that the lyrics went, Sometimes you want to go where everyone knows your name. And they're always glad you came. You want to be where you can see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where everybody knows your name. It's always nice when people know who you are in a good way, of course. Many times people, they may not simply know who you are. I was reading this passage where they're having difficulty with the identity of Jesus. And I thought to myself, scratching my head, you know, I can relate to that. I've been working on outside on the planter and things like that. And people will come by. And I've met a number of people. It's been very interesting. They'll come by and they'll compliment. They say, it's starting to look really good. Can I come over and take a look? What are you, the landscaper? <laughs> or they'll come by and say, you, are you the maintenance man? Or I remember one time, some time ago, when a woman came to church and they were... Uh, they were, she was new and she looked and was talking with James. And uh, she asked James, well, uh, where's, your, where's your pastor? To which James pointed across the room to me. And I was the only one there who was dressed up and wearing a suit. And he says, he's over there. And she looks directly, my direction. She says, where? <laughs> and he says, he's over there. Where? And he says, oh, the guy in the suit, oh, it's like when I went to the Philippines and I was doing a pastor's conference and a lady with a sign had my name and a title on it. And it was a shock to her when I came up and introduced herself. She said, oh, and she described why I was looking for someone else, somebody who looked like this and looked like that. And she was describing somebody that looked like Barry Martin <laughs> the other month. Even sometimes people don't recognize, you know. Many things, because their expectations are different. During talk time a month ago, there was a, there was a couple, an elderly couple, and the old man was very gracious, and he was saying, oh yeah, I, I think you're 20 years old. And his wife slapped his hand and said, no, he's 22. I'm glad I don't have some major insecurity issue, otherwise I would have some sort of identity crisis and here in this text today, you know, the, the people didn't recognize who Jesus was. And they were wondering and debating. Here in this text today, Jesus begins teaching at a feast. He begins teaching at this feast. And masterfully, as we look at this text, he takes the backdrop of the feast to tell them the message. To tell them the message that he can satisfy the longings of their soul. That He can give them eternal satisfaction. That they can be 
people who have rivers of living water that will gush out. That will gush out. Because there are many, many things this world has to offer. Many satisfying things that will make you happy temporarily. But nothing that will satisfy the soul. Like the story of the man who was lost in the desert. And he was wandering around and he was becoming dehydrated and dying of thirst. It was very dry and he sees this little shack in the distance and he makes his way over to the shack and he finds in the shack a water pump. A water pump and a small jug of water right next to it. And side note, a little note that read, pour all of the water into the top of the pump to prime it. And if you do this, you'll get all the water you need. The man was dying of thirst. What was he to do? If he were to drink the water that was there, he would have enough. And he thought, maybe I could survive or maybe I might die. But if I pour all of the water into the pump and the pump doesn't work, then I'll die. After thinking about it, he decided to take all of the water and pour it down into the pump. And he began to work the handle. Nothing happened at first. Then he kept on pumping because he was afraid and Water started coming out. Water started coming out. So much water that he had all that he wanted and that he could even take a shower and fill all the containers that he could find to take with him because he was willing to give up that momentary satisfaction for what would become life-saving to him. And he filled up the jug again and he wrote on that little note, please prime the pump. Believe me, it works. Jesus offers to us satisfaction that is far beyond that which will be temporary, momentary. And he does so in this particular text upon the backdrop of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, a number of weeks ago, I spoke on the previous text and mentioned the question of who Jesus is. That was the determining question, perhaps the most important question that anyone can ask and needs to answer in this life. Who is Jesus? What has he done? Who am I and what do I need to do in order to have a relationship with God? That was the issue as Jesus went up to the feast. Because the feast, people, people were buzzing about who Jesus was. They were talking. They were looking for him. He had just fed the 5,000. He had just walked on the water. And yet even his brothers, it says in the previous text, even his brothers didn't believe him. And so they said, well, Jesus, why don't you come up to the feast? Prime place, public place, lots of people are going to be there. Show yourself. And in their mind's eye, there was a doubt to his identity of who he was. Jesus said, do you go up? Wasn't his time. He went up later on, perhaps in the middle of the feast after it began. He went on and began to teach. And here we're going to see the reaction of the people. How people can respond even to the invitation of Jesus today. Verse 32, it says, The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering about these things, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to seize him. Now, this was, as I mentioned, during the Feast of Booths, known as the Feast of Tabernacles, near and occurring around the fall of beginning to the middle of October. And there are three major feasts you see on the Jewish calendar. The Feast of Passover, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. 
This was the Feast of Tabernacles. It came five days after the Day of Atonement. It lasted for seven or eight days. Some scholars debate whether it's seven or eight days. It was capped off by a special assembly at the end. And during the Feast of Tabernacles, people would make these temporary shelters, tents or lean-tos or whatever, and they would stay in these makeshift uh, tents in the squares on the rooftops of homes. And it was a reminder, it was a reminder of God's provision of the nation of Israel as they wandered in the desert for 40 years. How God had prepared them and brought them from being a nomadic people, an impoverished people, into the promised land to become a stable and an affluent people. Now on the last day, it says that he cried out. He cried out to them. Cried out saying, what, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let him come to me and drink. Here he cried out. He did it one other time in crying out to the crowd in righteous anger. But here he yells out and he cries out to this crowd, this massive crowd, because the Feast of Tabernacles was by far the, the most popular of all of the feasts. It was like having Thanksgiving for a whole week, not just one day, not just one meal. Every day, every day. And he cried out to them. Now, in this crowd, there were the Pharisees. Verse 32. They had heard people muttering about him. They, as we saw in past chapters, wanted his life. Because he was upheaving all of the things that they were teaching the false ideas that they were propagating. And they, along with the chief priests, sent officers, verse 32, to seize him. Now, you know, that the chief priests, you see, the chief priests, those that were the chief priests were the Sadducees. The Sadducees and the Pharisees made up the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling body of 70 leaders for the Jews. And they were in opposition oftentimes to one another. These leaders were perhaps like the, like the Republicans and the Democrats of our country. They always had debates, but along the line of wanting Jesus away, they colluded together and they sent officers. The officers were trained religious Levites who enforced whatever the Sanhedrin desired. And so, they came together. They came together and sent these officers to seize him. For a little while longer, Jesus says, I'm with you. And then I go to him who sent me. They began in their blindness to mock him. What is his statement? He said, you will seek me and you will not find me. And where you go, I'm, I cannot come. What is he saying? Speaking of his ascension. Speaking of his ascension. All of these things, when one is blind to the truth, angers them when the truth is presented. And Jesus continues to speak as we come to verse 37, to speak 
the truth and to present a clear message of himself being the Savior. And we will see how people will respond. For he says there in the text in verse 37, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out. Now those of you who are parents know that oftentimes there are what we call teachable moments. Teachable moments when a situation or a context gives you the opportunity to teach something very, very important. And Jesus was phenomenal and masterful at taking a context, whether it's something like the Sermon on the Mount when he says, look at the, look at the lilies of the field as he's speaking with the people just sitting there near the side of the galley. Look at the lilies of the field. Does not God, does not God make them and clothe them? How will He take care of them? He'll take care of you. Don't about the birds. He'll take care of the birds. You have nothing to worry about, etc. And here He does so in the same context. He was phenomenal in taking a situation and giving a powerful invitation, the crux of the message today. It says uh, the great day of the feast. On that last day, the Feast of Tabernacles. As I mentioned, it was seven or eight days, and what they did was fascinating. They took branches, they took branches, fresh palm tree branches, good trees, thick boughs, and everywhere, as, as they said, in Leviticus, it says that, well, you shall take yourselves foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. And they would take these branches, the people would, and they would go up to the temple in a ceremony that would happen every day of the feast. And the Pharisees would be directing them. And they would hold all the branches out, forming a great round roof over the altar. And the priest with a golden pitcher that held two pints of water, he would go down to the pool of Siloam. He would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would scoop out two pints of water, return through the water gate back to the temple. And before all of the people, he would pour that water out symbolically near the altar while all of Israel was being led by the Levitical choir with flutes singing the Hallel in Psalm 113 through 18, saying, Praise the Lord! Praise, O servants of the Lord! Praise the name of the Lord! Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. His glory is above all the heavens. The priest would come with this water and pour it out, as they recited Isaiah 12:3, therefore you shall joyously draw water from the springs of salvation as a symbol of what God's provision, of God's provision of water to the nation of Israel in the wilderness. This was the feast of booze. This was the feast of booze. It was a major ceremony that happened every day. And the people would give praise and glory to God for God's sustaining life. On the seventh day of the feast, they would march around the altar seven times reminiscent of the times that were marched around the walls of Jericho. 
All the while with their branches and bows and praising God. And they were praying. Do you know what they were praying? They were praying for rain. They were praying for rain during the ceremony. Because it was a hot and dry land that was there. I remember being out in the Negev, in the wilderness in Israel, where the Israelites were, where they had been living in these booths. And I'll tell you, it is hot. We had an air-conditioned bus, and when we went outside, it was instantly something like 118 or 120 degrees or hotter. And they told us, don't stay out there too long. Because if you did, you know, you'd become like a prune or something. You'd be drying up because of all of the heat that was there. And you imagine how many people came out of Egypt. 600,000 men. Multiply that times over for all the women and the children. And you've got over a million people to be sustained by the amount of water that they would need. And they were praying for rain. Remember what God did? He provided for them. There was a rock that God provided gushing water from the people of the Feast of Tabernacles. During this last day, they prayed for rain and Jesus stands up and he cries out in a loud voice and he says what? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. What an invitation. What an invitation. Upon the backdrop of all that is happening in the ceremony that was to take place or was taking place, People thanking God, people praising God for food, for water, for the nation, praying for rain. And Jesus says, if you are thirsty, then come and you will never thirst again. Number of elements to this invitation, aren't there? We see a number of elements in this invitation that Jesus gives to come to him. The first element is if anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, Someone needs to realize that they have a thirst, that they have a need. And when you're thirsty, you naturally go and have that need met. You naturally look for something to drink. Blessed, Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Somebody wants to be right with God. They want to be righteous in God's sight. They want that burden of guilt and of sin to be lifted off their shoulders. But one needs to recognize their need. They need to thirst. They need to desire. Secondly, they need to come to Jesus. Let him come. Let him come. The one who is thirsty needs to come. They need to turn to Jesus. They can't turn to Buddha or yoga or meditation or anything else. People all over the world feel that emptiness, that pain, that loneliness, that loss of satisfaction, that unfulfilling motivation that they may have only temporarily. There's no purpose, is there? A lack of joy, nothing they will do will satisfy their soul. They need to come to Jesus. They need to come to Jesus. 
And the text says, thirdly, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, a figure of speech, they need to turn and appropriate to believe, to turn to God, but to take, to accept, embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior. There are lots of people who have heard a lot about Jesus, who come to church perhaps. They see God's common grace in their lives, and yet they will not commit. They will not give themselves. They won't drink. Just like the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to have eternal life? Jesus challenges him, in effect, surrender everything this world has to offer. And when the young man hears that, it says in verse 22 of Matthew 19, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. He was one who owned much property. Embracing, believing the Savior is what the thirsty soul needs to do. And when one does so, they never thirst again. But it doesn't end there. Salvation is not the end goal. Coming and being saved by Christ is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. Because Jesus says this, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You become a channel of God's blessing as you share Christ. You become a conduit of God's grace. An aqueduct of living water bringing hope when there was none to others. God never intended the Christian to be like a, a reservoir, a reservoir that just sort of contains all of this water that stores water like Christians who like to just grow and, you know, learn like a big reservoir. God never likewise intended any of us to be like a dripping faucet. We're witnessing, serving, sharing Christ as once in a blue moon. We're to be like a river. A freshwater river flowing with living water. Bringing satisfaction and hope to others. Through what? Through our testimony. Through our witnessing. Through our service. When the church began in Acts chapter 2, you see the church was just gushing with living water. The Spirit of God working through the people to do the will of God. When Jesus shares the message of hope, satisfaction, there were a number of responses among the crowd. There are a number of responses in verse 40. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet and others were saying, this is the Christ. There are those who believe. There are those who believe, who, who have been convinced. Some people believe. They hear the message. They recognize the Messiah. They're convinced. This is the joy of sharing the gospel. Do you realize that? When you share the gospel, there are some people who are waiting, who are thirsty, and they're just wondering and wondering, when is somebody, when is somebody, Going to tell me how I can find satisfaction. And there are some people whom God has prepared beforehand that they might come to know the Savior. There's always that hope. Some people may be afraid because when they share their faith, they're afraid that everyone or other people just are going to reject. And so they're hesitant about that whole fact. 
But there are others who are just waiting for someone like you to come and share with them about the good news of the Savior. And there are those who will believe, just like those in verse 40 and 41. But on the contrary, there are those who will not believe. They will mock. There'll be an unbelief. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not coming from Galilee, is he? Hasn't the scripture said Christ will come from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem? Now, you see, Galilee was, Galilee was this place north of where Jerusalem was. North of where, it was sort of a backwards area, you know, people of the unsophisticated types. That's how they viewed the Galileans. That's how they viewed the early disciples, the apostles. Are these men of Galilee? Galilee had a reputation for sort of disregarding the Jewish law as well. There was a rebel uprising that had a number of Galileans. So simply on the basis of where Jesus was from, in the minds of some people, he couldn't possibly, couldn't possibly be the Messiah from Galilee, from a place like that. People would say, they would say, he's supposed to come from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, they insisted. And in that point, they were right. They were right. He was to come from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem. And absolutely, he did. But you know what the problem was? They didn't even bother to ask Jesus or to find out more. He was a descendant of David. And yes, he was born in Bethlehem. It goes to show that there are people who reject Christ who have a preconceived idea and their name and their ideas where minds will not be changed. And they will throw up all sorts of arguments. Arguments that they haven't even looked into. Haven't even tried to find the answer. Sometimes people will just go on the internet and then they'll Google and they'll find some a list of objections of what they might hear others say. And they'll continue to toss those same things out. But they won't look into it. They won't investigate. They won't try to find an answer because they, in their mind's eye, have their minds made up and their objections have been set. They're not going to seek what is true, whether or not there is an answer. There are many people like that. They'll throw up whatever barrier it is because they willfully fight in the hardness of heart. And so here's what happened. Verse 43. A division occurred in the crowd because of him. A division occurred in the crowd because of him. Now, that's not such a bad thing. That is not such a bad thing. Why? Because what this shows in verse 43, that those who believed were not dissuaded by those who didn't believe. Those who accepted didn't, weren't swayed by those who were in opposition. The opposition didn't sway those who saw the truth. Isn't that great? There was a division. There were those who believed who Christ was and those that rejected. They had their side and Christ said this would happen. Matthew 10, 34. It says, when Jesus said, do not think I came to bring peace on earth. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
A sword, for I came to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Now, this doesn't sound very welcoming at all. That a man would be against his father and a daughter against her mother. But the idea was that Jesus didn't come to bring an earthly peace like the Jews wanted or like people in our society might want. But peace with God. And when people come to Christ, often there is division in the closest relationships, isn't there? In the closest relationships that one has in one's family, among those that do not know the Lord One's brother or sister or cousin or even one's spouse. There's division because of Christ. It happens. So when in crowd there were those who believed and those who were dead set against Christ, some wanted to seize him, verse 44, but no one laid hands on him because this was not his time. It wasn't God's timetable. And no matter what people want to do, they cannot thwart the plan of God. They cannot thwart the purposes of God. What God permits, he permits with a purpose. Nothing can happen unless it is by the plan and the purposes of God. So we see those who believe and those who didn't. And then there were those who are confused. Verse 45 says the officers then came to the chief priests and the Pharisees and they said to them, why did you not bring them? The officers said, never has a man spoken the way this man speaks. Now, the officers, they were the temple police. They were the temple police. They were trained Levites who were trained in the religious law. They knew what the law said. And when they came to Jesus, it wasn't because they were held back by the crowd. It wasn't because somehow Jesus eluded them and they were dumbfounded because of Jesus' speech. Never has a man spoken in the way this man speaks. How did he speak? Luke 4, 22. Tells us one way, when Jesus began his public ministry, when Jesus began his public ministry, he went to the synagogue, he read the scriptures and he said, now the scriptures are fulfilled. Remember that in your hearing? And, he, and after he got done, it says in Luke 4:22, and all were speaking well of him, wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. He spoke graciously, he spoke graciously. Matthew seven twenty nine, For he was teaching them, it says, as one having authority, not as their scribes. He spoke with authority. Remember, the scribes would often, would often teach. They would have this rabbinical ladder in which they would pass down through the process of ordination down to their students or their disciples. And their disciples would often quote a rabbi would often quote a rabbi from the past, such and such rabbi said this, such and such rabbi said that, etc., etc. And their authority would come not from themselves. Authority would not come from God. It would come from another rabbi. But Jesus spoke with the authority of God, not as their scribes would teach. Gracious, spoke with authority. He also spoke as one who was educated. John 7, verse 15. 
The Jews then were astonished, saying, How has this man become learned, having never been educated? He spoke with intelligence. He spoke with knowledge. He wasn't just speaking whatever his own thoughts were. He spoke intelligently as one who was educated. And many times, even after that, he spoke with wisdom. As we see, he answered his opponents who were continually trying to trap him in his own words or thwart him with ulterior motives. And Jesus would answer them in a way that they wouldn't have anything to say. He spoke in a way that when these officers came to arrest him, They didn't know what to do. They weren't antagonistic towards him, but they weren't buying into everything that he had to say either. They were confused. They were dumbfounded. They didn't quite know what to do. And that's how some people will respond to Jesus. When confronted with a person of who Jesus is, there are a lot of people who don't quite know what to do. They aren't openly hostile towards Christ. They perhaps aren't believing or accepting Him either. They don't know what to do. Perhaps they're caught between opposing pressures. The pressures of their family. Their family who do not believe and they don't quite know what to do. The pressures of others whom they know or the temptations of the world. But because of ignorance or misinformation or whatever it may be, they do not know what to do. And this... Confusion really gets to the Pharisees and the chief priests. Remember, the Sadducees and the Pharisees had gotten together and in collusion they wanted Jesus dead and it frustrated them. And they answered them, you have not also been led astray, have you? None of the leaders or Pharisees have believed in him. But this crowd which does not know the law is accursed. They are incensed. Why didn't you arrest him? They appeal to the, 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 the pride and the self-awareness of these, of these officers. They appeal to their own credentials and they try to persuade these, these, these officers through a negative association. And you're not deceived, are you? You haven't been duped, have you? You certainly can't be one of the foolish. In a way, they put them down. You, you, you can't possibly be that ignorant, can you? Or that blind, can you? And they appeal to their own credentials. Look, no one of the rulers or Pharisees, all of us educated, trained, professionals, all of us rulers, none believe in Him. No. So trust us. Trust us, they're saying. You don't know. We do. And thirdly, who are you going to side with? Are you going to side with these uneducated Popular people in the crowd, they're accursed. And so these officers have a choice. You side with the Pharisees and receive their applaud and pat on the back, or you side with the crowd who are uneducated, uncursed, and what? Are you what? Are you going to be that foolish and are you duped as well? They're incensed, appealing to all of these things, and we don't know what these people decided. We don't know. But we do know there are many people who are confused because of pressures, because of misinformation. They simply don't know what to do and they prefer their own ignorance, perhaps, ultimately, which does them no good. So we have those who respond to Jesus by believing. We have those who respond to Jesus in opposition. We have those who simply don't know what to do. 
And then we have those who are thoughtful and consider, consider Christ. Verse 50. Nicodemus, who came to him before being one of them, said, Our law does not judge a man unless it first hears from him and knows what he is doing, does it? Nicodemus, as you remember, was the one of the most prominent, if not the most prominent, member of the Pharisees who came to Jesus at night. John chapter 3 came to him at night, possibly because he didn't want the other Pharisees to know, possibly because he would have an opportunity to have a discussion with Jesus. And you remember in John chapter 3, many of you know John 3.16, that whole chapter in which Nicodemus has a discussion with Jesus and Jesus tells him, you need to be born again. Nicodemus, in his consideration, maybe at this point hadn't fully believed or committed himself at this point yet, but he puts forth an argument that benefits him. And we know Nicodemus, later on, I believe that he does come to a saving knowledge of Christ as his actions show in 1939 of the book of John. Because after Jesus had died, Nicodemus, it says, who had first come to him by night also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and a hundred pounds weight to embalm Jesus. The Pharisees, oh, the Pharisees, who often accused Jesus of breaking the law, particularly of the Sabbath, here are confronted with their own law. And they're not in any mood to follow their own law. Rather, they answered Nicodemus harshly by ridiculing him, saying, What? Are you also part of one of those backwards Galileans trying to defend somebody from that area? What are you saying? Isn't it obvious that he is not the Messiah? Their own hatred drove them to not even consider their own laws. Even Rome had a law which allowed a man a fair hearing, a fair trial. There will be some like Nicodemus. There will be some like Nicodemus who respond to Jesus. Those who seek God, those who consider Christ, those who are thinking they want to learn more, they're diligent. There's something to that. They just need some time. There are those who are genuine. We're continuing to learn. Or it's continuing to pursue and seek after God. And God says to those people, God has repeated to Israel many, many times. Like in Second Chronicles 15:2, if you seek me, he will, if you seek him, he will let you find him. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Or Proverbs 8:17, where God says, I love those who love me. And those who diligently seek me will find me. Jeremiah 29:13 You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Those who seek after God, those who seek after the knowledge of God, God reveals himself to them. God reveals himself to them. You wonder well, what about those people who have never heard the gospel or or whatever it may be, they don't have that opportunity. You know what? Those who diligently seek after God, who pursue God, God in some way reveals himself to them. So which of these people are you? The people who believe, 
the people who are opposed, the people who are confused, or the people who consider the claims of Christ. Jesus promises to all that will come to him from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Like the great Amazon River, which begins really above the freeze line in the Andes Mountains, I read, in South America. There's this little trickle that begins right there. A little trickle that begins to emerge from the frozen ground. It flows through the mountain. And one little stream flowing into another little stream until there is this river that is formed. And the river flowing down begins to pick up speed and begins to pick up more and more power. And it flows some 3,600 miles before it reaches the Atlantic Ocean. And from there, it hits the ocean at a rate of 1.4 million gallons of water per second. With such force, it pushes fresh water out into the ocean some 60 miles far. That's the power that comes. When those that have placed their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus, out of them will flow rivers of living water. Do you find that the case in your life? You're a Christian, you find your life is full of the Holy Spirit with deep satisfaction of knowing Christ? Or has sin caused that river to just drip? To just drip? You find that your walk with God and your service in Him is flowing out? That's your heart desire that you want to serve God, that you long to serve God. That your heart wants to do whatever it can to further the kingdom of God. Just as a little hour ago, we watched a, a great, great video on open air preaching. And I don't know about those who saw it, but I'll tell you, it was so motivating. Just the desire that came in my own heart to want to share even more of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because people need to know. Do you desire God? Do you desire the things that God loves? Do you long for the pure milk of the Word? Do you long to be more like Jesus? Or is there something that is restricted that flow from your life? For all that come to Christ, God gives the Spirit of God to you so that your life might manifest His grace and you might be a conduit of the grace that God has given to you that your life would flow like rivers of living water. Let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, it's often been said we have been blessed but not just for ourselves but that we might be a blessing to others. Father, I pray for each and every person who is here that, Father, You would open wide their heart. Take away the fear. Grant to them courage. Take away, O oh God, the insecurities and grant to them confidence in You that they might serve You and share of your Son. 
with the satisfaction for the deepest needs and desires of the soul. We pray, O Father, that we might not turn to things that satisfy temporarily and in the end they hurt us. Whatever the world has to offer, O God, we know that it is unsatisfying. But You, O God, provide for us rivers of living water. We pray that we might find our satisfaction in You. In Jesus' name.